I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Shireen Vismaya, an astrologer and Jungian analyst in private practice. Shireen is currently located in Kerala, India, where she is staying at Amma's Ashram. She is co-hosting an event called Aquarius Rising Reimagined with Christina Caldil, three days of mysticism, metaphysics, and music in celebration of a new Aquarian vision. Events are to be held December 18th, 19th, and 20th online. And all proceeds go to benefit Amma's charities, empowering women and feeding the hungry. You can find more information about this event at AquariusRisingReimagined.com, including information about receiving a special price as an early bird special, half off if you register before December 9th. I have been asked to be a speaker as part of this conference and will be representing the House of Pisces discussing creativity, dreams, and the unconscious on December 20th. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Just a note, there is a video of this available on YouTube, which is linked in the text accompanying this episode. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash V-A-N-E-S-S-A two three C-A-R-L. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can also visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Um, I had the idea of wanting to put together a summit that wasn't just astrologers because we, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing, what I knew and what I've been involved in. And I thought, wouldn't it be so amazing to bring together? First, I was thinking about, you know, astrology and psychology coming together because those are my two passions. But then I was like, well, there's so many other teachers that I love that do other things, you know? So, um, I spoke with Christina because we had started partnering on a lot of projects and she's really good with the summits. And I was like, what if we did something for this um, Aquarius energy that's coming? There's this really big um, astrological configuration between Saturn and Jupiter happening on the 21st, right on the solstice of this month. I can't believe it's December already. 
so I said, we should do something, you know, um, for this big, this, this big event, this big astrological, it hasn't happened in hundreds and hundreds of years, Jupiter and Saturn coming together in, in air sign, especially. So, um, she said, okay. And then it kind of evolved from there. And the other thing, so the, actually the other, what really, I think sparked the idea was that I also wanted to do something to raise money for almost charity. So I was also trying to think of a big project to do, you know, instead of just something like I do all these like little projects, but I was like, I want to do a big project because I'd love to raise money for the empowering women um, charity that she has. And then she's also got a project called feed the hungry and they're both amazing. And I, I just felt like, okay, we need to do something big, you know, and that's also in the Aquarian spirit is to help, you know, it's, Aquarius is all about, you know, we're in this together. So I thought, let's create something that has all the pieces that we love, all the teachers that we love, all our friends that we love. This is also very Aquarian, bringing in your friends that you love and to inspire other people, but also for a good cause and to celebrate this big event that's happening because it's pretty monumental that we're going into this Aquarian. It's not the age of Aquarius per se, but it's, it is an Aquarian age of some kind. You know, I don't think it's the one that everyone thought oh, we're in that age already, but that's supposedly hundreds of years off still. But but we are entering a, a very different frequency than we were in in the last three years since Saturn was in Capricorn. There's been a big shift now. I mean, there will be. <laughs> when Saturn and Jupiter go into Aquarius, archetypally we're moving from the energy of the devil in the tarot, that's Capricorn, to the energy of the star. So very different. You know, the devil's all about shadow and uncovering shadow and things that possess us or things that we feel, bond, you know, we're in bondage to or in slavery to. And just looking at all the dark, I mean, we've definitely been in a collective shadow work, we could say, in 2020. And so now we're coming into the light, into the Aquarius light of the stars and literally the stars of astrology. I think that's why astrology is blowing up. And even in 2020, it's been blowing up. Everyone, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, there's so many people really interested in astrology more than ever. So I thought we could get um, 12 different speakers to represent the 12 different archetypes of the Zodiac to give a presentation on something that resonates with each of what the 12 signs brings to the Aquarian collective, you could say. So like, so for Aries, we would have a presentation with someone who really embodies the trailblazing fiery energy of Aries and I'm going to have um Sierra Swan who's she is an Aries she's one of the singers she's on the new Smashing Pumpkins album she's really fantastic and very fiery woman just really incredible woman and then like for Taurus we're going to have a gong healer for sound because Taurus is all about the sound healing and then Gemini is all about the transmission of information and so we'll have an astrologer for that, of course, giving us like the updates of what's happening in 2021. Oh my God, <laughs> 2021. And then for cancer, um, we're having an intimacy coach and also one who's really into the moon cycles to talk about the moon cycles and intimacy. And then Leo is about leadership because Leo is all about like the leading from the heart though, because Leo is the heart sign. So we're actually having the woman who created the witch's confluence, Casey Zabla. She's, she is a Leo actually too. Not everyone is the, their sign, by the way. It's more just if they, their work kind of embodies the energy of that, that Zodiac essence. So the Casey actually happens to be a Leo 
for instance, like I know you're our dream analyst and you're not a Pisces, you're a Cancer, right? It's for safe. But my mom's the Pisces. So I know Pisces well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. So, um, yeah, so Casey is the Leo. So she's going to talk about how she organized the, the Witches Confluence, which has been this really amazing event that's gone on over the last three years that's been incredibly transformational for um, just the way people do conferences. You know, nobody ever thought, oh, there could be a Witches Conference, Confluence. And the first one happened in San Francisco three years ago, and it's just blown up over the last few years. So it's had a really big impact. So that I, I really can't wait to hear, you know, her journey with that. And also she's a creator of two tarot decks. So, um, so she'll be right. And then Virgo, we have um, actually a really good friend of mine who I've known forever back in New York City from the 90s. And she's... Oh, she's amazing. She's actually a Pilates instructor now, but she that doesn't really define all of her work because she studied every aspect of wellness, but she just happens to be this master. She's like a master Pilates instructor. She's like Donna Karen's Pilates instructor. She's not just like a Pilates teacher because I know everyone's like, oh, Pilates. What does that have to do with anything? Pilates is amazing though, actually, like the foundation and the teachings behind it. And she's the one that can integrate all of the other wellness principles. So anyway, that's Virgo. Libra is the sac- a sacred marriage um, talk from Katie Butler. Katie Nura, she's my Egyptian. She's in Egypt and she's my tarot. She's my tarot teacher and mentor for many years. And she actually lives on the pyramids. She's incredible. So she's going to talk about the Egyptian mysteries and the sacred marriage for Libra. Scorpio is a trauma healer that I know from New York City for many years. Laurie Schwartz, you might have seen the little video we posted of her recently. Um, Sagittarius is um, my first yoga teacher in New York City. So it's like all my people from way back in New York. Um, Eddie Stern, who wrote a book called One Simple Thing. He's a really incredible um, teacher for Sag. And he is actually a Sagittarius. Capricorn is my very first astrologer, Robert Thibodeau. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But he is like a legend. And he's, he's the owner of the Mayflower Bookshop in Detroit, Michigan, which is one of the only lasting still standing metaphysical bookshops and it's burned down several times and it's still, he keeps rebuilding and God bless him. After all the times it's burned down, he's incredible. So, and he, he's an amazing astrologer. He predicted that I would spend most of my life in India. When I was 16, he told me that. And I thought he was crazy because I had no interest in coming to India when I was 16. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he saw it in my chart. So it's pretty amazing. So I always think of him when I'm here. And then, um, and then you, no, Aquarius, I forgot Aquarius. Aquarius is a breathwork healer, um, Susan Atay, and she's, yeah, she's incredible. For Aquarius, I feel like we're going to need to breathe a lot, so it's air. And then Pisces is the unconscious, so that leads us to you and our conversation, so we did the full circle. But yeah, Pisces is all about dreams and dealing with the dealing you know, deal with the unconscious do you um diving into the unconscious mm-hmm. <laughs> navigating the unconscious so and all the work you've done with dreams and also back from new york with the river museum yeah exactly no it's really um exciting and um Doing that event at the Rubin Museum for so many years was really fantastic because the Rubens are actually, that got started because 
Um, the person who came in to the Ruben as the events coordinator there, that was, I talked to her before I moved to Sweden. We had like a last coffee and she said like when she <laughs> took the job at the Ruben, that's the one thing she like had in mind she wanted to do was this dream over event. And the Rubens themselves are big donors to the psychoanalytic institute that I went to. They're like really into psychoanalysis and Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> so um, they were perfect. And so, so they came to our institute to kind of find analysts in the making who would be interested in this. And of course, I was very interested from the very first year we did it. And then by the last time I did it, I was organizing the whole thing and, and running it and giving the talk. Um, and I've actually thought like that might be a great thing to kind of like concept to branch out with, not now because we can't all sleep together in museums currently, but like in the future, like at different other museums, like in Stockholm or different places around the world, to have people be able to dream around these kinds of magical objects because that's, you know, what they are. Oh, absolutely. That would be so, that would be, that would be a dream to do that. I was thinking that I was so sad that I missed the one at the Rupin Museum. I wanted to do it so badly. And then I was like, I hope there's another one that happens. So hopefully, yeah. maybe in 2021, things will start to open up again. Let's see. We'll see. Never... <laughs> I'm staying put. I know, we're all in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so that's kind of the full circle. And, and, um, so I guess, yeah, the, we're calling it reimagined because we also feel like we don't know what's coming. I mean, that's the whole point is like, we can't, we have to kind of reimagine what we thought the future was going to be. None of us know it's not what we thought was going to happen. I don't think any of us thought we would be here, but now that we're here, we all have to really tune into our unconscious and see where it's leading us and what it's telling us and what we need to heal to move forward, right? How, have, how has it been for you, um, in terms of your work, have you felt a big shift since this has happened? Yeah, well, I think in my case, because of the move, I had already moved to like doing all of my treatment remotely and everything because most of my analyses are still in the States. So I kind of was a few years ahead <laughs> and navigating the waters of like doing this kind of remote analysis on my own and then all of a sudden like all of my colleagues all had to stay home and do remote analysis because of the pandemic and they're like wait you've already been doing this and I'm like yeah and so like I've been I kind of helped a lot of people with their questions about how it went and it actually I think the biggest leap was just like like you're saying reimagining what's possible because analysts thinking as a psychoanalyst psychologist you know used to having the the frame of the office and the couch and like all of these kinds of objects and set and setting is so important and now yeah. that's not the case that people are having treatment out of their house and the analysis are in their house as well um, but it works well it's just you have to think outside the box basically and this whole thing has definitely forced everyone to think outside the box but I think it's great in that you know you don't you know, we could reach so many more people because, I mean, it's hard to find good therapists and then to find one in your area. If you live in a big city, maybe, but there's a lot of people that live remotely or rurally and now they have access to um, therapists, analysts, wherever they are, and people can provide treatment wherever they are. So I think in the end, it's going to really broaden the scope and help people um, 
become more psychologically minded in general. And I have so many questions for you too about like, this has been, it makes so much sense when you said this Saturn and Capricorn over the past three years, and that's the devil card and everyone kind of delving into our unconscious together and this collective like shadow and bringing up all this muck. Um, What do you think about, yeah, what do you think about all that's happening in this kind of turn in society? Yeah, well, I do think we have to face the shadow now. I think it's like, it's a leveling, like COVID really just leveled everything out where it's like, there's nowhere to run or hide, literally. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to run or hide now. It's, it's like, we have to face ourselves, you know, and, and we're all, I mean, I've heard someone say like, we're all in the same storm. We might not all be in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. And that's unusual because usually you see it happening different places, different times. And then like, you know, just knowing the whole world is going through the same, the same pandemic at this, you know, even if it's happening in different ripple effects, we, it's not like there's anywhere people could, I mean, it's actually funny because we'd be like, is there anywhere on the planet you can go and kind of escape like the Maldives? <laughs> I think that's supposedly the place that doesn't have it. I've heard that people feel like the rich people are escaping to the Maldives. <laughs> But even there, there's, you can't escape it because you're just going to feel isolated and alone. You know, it might not be, you might have to wear a mask there. You could have stay in a luxurious hotel there. But, um, and that's wonderful. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to that. I think that's a great idea <laughs> if you can do it. But, um, but even then, most of the people that are there had, before they got there, they were going through it in some way, you know. So I think we've all had to confront our mortality realize that you know it's it's the biggest you know assault to the ego in a way right it's like really like any kind of narcissism just got completely demolished during this like thinking like oh yeah we can just do whatever we want there's no consequences it's all about me that mentality really has to go now I mean you can see it's 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 leading a pretty intense death because the next phase that we're moving into, um, it has to be a we consciousness. You know, I think that's been the biggest shift. We were so isolated in so many ways. I and mean, even though we were living online before, like you said, I mean, I think a lot of us had already started living a majority of our life online. Maybe we weren't practicing online and we had a way to get offline, but it was interesting how we were unconsciously already moving more and more to interacting online. So it wasn't that big of a jump for most of us. Um, Although, except for like, yeah, for analysts, it's, we rely so much on the physical. So that's, that was really challenging. I remember when I moved from um, New York to San Francisco in 2012, and I first had to try to see my clients from New York on Skype. It was terrible. We hated it. We were, it didn't work actually back then so well. We tried and most of them were like, no, I don't like this. <laughs> Sorry, just come back to New York because it wasn't the thing yet, you know? And now even people, like when I was living in San Francisco, because then I moved back to New York for a few years and then I moved back to San Francisco. But when I moved back again to San Francisco, the clients that I had even in San Francisco wanted to do their sessions online. Even if they lived in the city, they wanted to do, they preferred to do it online. They would ask me, do you mind if we do it, do a video session? Because that was the norm in San Francisco. 
So that forced me to adjust. I didn't like it at first, but anyway, that was kind of just to go back to what you were saying. But yeah, this bigger shadow work, I think, you know, we've definitely seen it in the, the shadow of America. I mean, it's interesting that you got out of America. I'm out of there. We're kind of watching it from the sidelines now, which is a little strange, right? I, mean, I wanted to ask you how that's been for you too, because here it's part of me wants to be there and just be in it. You know, I feel a little bit, um, it's hard to just watch it from a distance, you know, when you want to be there to support. And, um, but yeah, I've definitely felt watching all of this unravel, you know, since going back to George Floyd, I mean, it's been an intense awakening for the shadow that's, that the country was built on. You know, it's really, there's no more hiding it or brushing it under the rug. And that I think is a very good thing that's happened. And that yes, the timing is interesting. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. everybody knew this was all uh, had happened. But like growing up there, you know, it's never properly addressed. And like you said, they're just constantly trying to like brush it under the rug and move forward. Meanwhile, there's all these systems in place that are still perpetuating the same issues. And uh, yeah, it was like, it had to happen. It had to happen at some point. There needed to be this like reckoning. Yeah. Yeah, the reckoning. And I think speaking of the tarot again, not only so you know, astrologically, like we said, we're moving from the devil to the star, but numerologically going into the tarot, this was the year of like a double judgment. So it's like judgment day times two, you know, so much having to review everything we've done up until this point. And then next year is not only judgment 20, that's the judgment tarot archetype. That's the key for that archetype. 21 is the Saturn archetype, the world. So it's 2021. So it's judgment and Saturn together. So Pluto and Saturn, basically, from the numbers, from the numerology of 2021. And that also means that it's the last two cards of the deck, which is so fascinating to me, because it's like, we're really at the end of the entire fool's journey now. Can you imagine at the very the last two um, archetypes? So we're, I think we're really... Whatever 2021 is bringing, it's the end of something, you know. You might have thought 2020 was the end, but no, we still got another year to go before we're going to really cross back to the zero. Till we get to that zero point again, I think we've got to go through still one more pretty tumultuous, intense year of the dismantling, the demolition. We're in a demolishing energy for sure. Even in Vedic astrology, they say when the planets, the outer planets, well, they don't use outer planets, but... Saturn, when Saturn and Jupiter, like the the planets that govern more of the Dharma, get into the later signs of the zodiac, they consider it the Shiva phase. So it's all about the destruction. So we're in the Shiva phase and the destructive phase of of the transits of the times. So yeah, yeah. But as you know, from being analysts, you have to you have to pull things apart so that you can build them back together in a better way. Yes, I love that. Yeah, like an alchemy, right? The, the separatio. Is that how you say it? I love that. Yeah, like it has to be like a mess and you have to pull it all out and just like let all the pieces be wherever they go. That We're definitely in that. That's a good analogy, I think. It was an intense, like bringing up all of the negredo to this year, like all of that coming to the surface. And then now I think we're just kind of like, yeah, everything's 
in a million pieces and how do we put it back together? Because we don't even know. I mean, things are so shattered, but we're still kind of proceeding as if because we're living online, we don't really know in the 3D reality all of the damage that's been done. I don't know when we're going to figure that out. Just imagine, I mean, all of the the repercussions of um, all the businesses. And I don't know. When I, I think of New York, especially when I think of that, I'm like, is it going to rebuild? I mean, there hasn't really been a lot of talk about that, but I just can't imagine everything being shut down for a year. Like, what is the fallout of that going to look like? I think I read something like 70,000 small businesses and restaurants had closed, like something insane like that. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing I'm worried about is that this is going to be like, I hope for the best, of course, I'll with that. But my worrying side worries that um, it could be like the nail in the coffin for mom and pop businesses and be like big corporate takeover because they're the only things that could survive. I know that that's my fear too. Um, and yet it, it's strange because astrologically it's kind of going in the other direction. Although we don't really get out of the corporate thing until 2024. I feel like corporations are supposed to be dying. I feel like it's supposed to be the opposite, but right now it seems like they're the only ones that can kind of take advantage of this. Although we are still under, I, I don't know what's going to happen politically. I don't even want to get into that. That's such a mess because there's just so many shrouds over everything that's happening. Who knows where the truth is with all of that, but it's all a big power struggle mess right now. And I, I just wonder, yeah, like how the small businesses are going to come back. I mean, I know even trying to take a small business, like there was this whole thing, Oh, take a small business loan out, you know, and all the people I know that, including myself, I thought, oh yeah, when this first all happened, I was like, I should take out a small business loan because you just don't know what's going to happen, you know, with the future of our businesses. Might as well, if they're offering it at a low interest, it's better to have something, you know. And that was like a big scam, I think. Like nobody could ever get it. There was, you, you couldn't get the loan application to go through. You keep submitting more materials and they're like, oh, sorry, we can't verify your documents. Like everyone was getting that same response. So it was like, What's up with that? So I don't know if that was happening to all the small businesses, but I'm not like a big, big small business. I'm like a, you know, sole proprietor. But I just wonder if that was going on. You know, I know at least five people that had that same scenario that would like, you know, basically like people who are running independently owned businesses like me having that that happened trying to get a loan even so I was like mm. and I mean I don't know so I just I don't know how it's going to be with the small businesses but it feels like definitely it's going to be it's going to be a little bit difficult I think going through this unless unless the whole system is ripped out and changed and we start over from scratch I think again maybe in 2022 we start over yeah, that's that's the other thing I'm worried about, but I'm I'm hopeful. <laughs> I always pre- I feel like I have to preface everything I say with I'm hopeful, but um, <laughs> the thing I worry about is that um, you know since Biden did get elected, uh, that people I hope this doesn't happen, but kind of you know we were in pretty bad shape before Obama also, and uh, it was really really rough then too with like economic collapse. And then I felt like when Obama got elected, everyone was just like, oh, hooray, we did it. And kind of a lot of the work kind of stopped there for a lot of people. Not everyone, of course, there's always like amazing community organizers and civil rights 
um, the vendors. But uh, but I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, great, Obama got in. Like, we can go back to doing other things. And I just hope that they don't do that with Biden as well and think like, okay, because there's still so much work to do and like dismantling all these systemic issues and like problems with the police brutality and all of these different, and jails. I mean, the fact that we have for-profit prisons at all is like completely insane and really needs to be addressed and dismantled immediately. But yes. What do you think about um, what do you think about the fact that everyone has gotten or there is this like push towards older systems of knowledge, ancient systems of knowledge, astrology, uh, Ayurveda, like you said, indigenous forms of knowledge um, and witchcraft is like really popular. What do you think about all of that kind of happening in the midst of all of this? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the blessing in disguise, I'm hoping, is a return to all of that sacred knowledge and wisdom and because we need it. I mean, that's always, I guess, the, you know, the, the silver lining when you go through these dark times is that um, the creativity usually flourishes, the spirituality hopefully flourishes, or the, the wisdom teachings are more um, in demand. Like, I mean, one thing we've seen more than this is what's interesting with the whole corporate thing on the one hand we're like are they the only ones that are going to survive and yet I know so many people that had corporate jobs that are just like I'm done like I what am I doing you know like 2020 was this big wake-up call like I don't want to work for a corporation anymore so if everyone stops working for the corporation if we all collectively say we're not participating in this anymore like what were we doing like we don't want these big giant one strip malls with like Target and Walmart and every like can we just start over like it's horrible like how did we I, I remember when, when I mean now it's just been not reality for so long but I remember when it first started shifting and you started seeing more and more strip malls everywhere and you would go to a different city and it would look the same I remember when that was starting I can still remember I don't know when that was but I remember being horrified kind of the same way I was horrified when I first started noticing that there was such a thing as like social media with like thumbs up and down. And I was like, really? I couldn't believe that. <laughs> and I'm somehow participating in it now. <laughs> you know, it's just like, how do they kind of sneak these weird things into our reality? Right. And I hope, I hope, I hope like you, I want to be hopeful that people will just collectively say, Oh, I don't, you know, I want to go back to the small businesses and I, I want to go back to the ancient healing medicine and not pharmaceutical insanity and um i mean i know allopathic medicine has its place i'm not saying you know sometimes we need antibiotics we need these medicines but i think if we could work on strengthening our immune systems in more holistic ways to begin with and understand that we have a lot more power to keep ourselves healthy you know ongoing to fight these viruses i mean like you said, it's systemic. Everything is systemic. We really do need a big uprooting, I think, to make any of this work. Even when we start talking about it, you can feel the the mess of everything being scattered in, in a million pieces. And like, yeah, like we have to just, I think, start over. It's like we have to start over and go back, go back to the roots. I mean, absolutely. And I think um, astrology is probably blown up in popularity because people need guidance everyone's like what's happening and what's going on and they need some kind of roadmap to or at least some 
light in the darkness of, is there a higher meaning? Is this part of a bigger cycle? Where do I fit into this? Who am I in all of this? What was I born to do? Like Chani Nicholas, I mean, she's a great example. She's like definitely become the spokesperson for our, like the astrological guru of our age, right? So, and she wrote a book called You Were Born for This. And I think that people want to know what, why they're here, you know? I think that's why people are turning to astrology the most because usually you'll see like on any astrology video, people say, what about my chart? <laughs> Can you tell me how this affects my chart or how do I figure out my chart? Because we want to figure out our place in all this confused confusion. If we can find our own purpose and meaning in all of this. One of my favorite analysts, um, James Hollis, I don't know if you know his work, he's a union analyst. He wrote a book about his, I think it was his last book. He has one book about living between worlds, which is very apt for these times too. But he had another book about um, how he doesn't understand why we prioritize happiness so much when really he thinks, having been an analyst for so many years, that people are searching for meaning more than they are searching for happiness. And I think when we go through these go through such a crisis like this that we start to really search for meaning and who am I and what what is the meaning of my life like the things that we were distracting ourselves with before COVID we're realizing oh my god like what was I I was wasting so much time or we weren't appreciating certain things that's been a big I think fallout from sorry I kind of went off on a tangent because I know you were asking me about the sacred arts we love associations (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> thank god we got with another analyst yes we can just tangent away <laughs> especially yeah especially in psychoanalysis it's all about the tangents right so um yeah so i just feel like we um we're in a place now where we're saying okay these kind of like you know when you get grounded as a child you know you're running around playing you have all these distractions and you get grounded and you have to think about what you've done <laughs> i hated being grounded <laughs> when I was a child and it's when I got quarantined here in India because we didn't have so much of a lockdown here where I am but we did have like a I had like a three-week quarantine in my apartment when it the COVID actually did get into the ashram here and we were all shocked because we lived for eight months with like pretty much complete freedom we were really lucky like nothing really changed for us because we were kind of an isolated island here community so once it got in, we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And so I was in my flat for three weeks. And I, it reminded me of that feeling when you're young, when you're just like looking out the window, <laughs> you want to go outside and play when you're grounded. <laughs> and I, but it helped me to, I realized it was an important experience to go through because before that it was only a concept of what everyone was going through out in the world, you know, of being stuck in their houses for months, not just a couple weeks. And um, I think having all of us having gone through that experience, it forces you to look inward if you haven't been. I mean, of course, we're in the field where we're, that's our work, you know, is to inquire within what's happening. But even then, I'm sure you can agree, even as an analyst, we're great with distractions. Like we don't realize we, we're analyzing other people, we're, you know, we're reading books, we're doing all these things, but how much time are we really just like, eliminating all the outer noise and just really coming back to ourselves and not having the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that we have to do or run to or 
experience or we were traveling so much. I mean, we had so much energy going out. I hadn't realized how much energy, I don't even know how I did that now. I feel like if I had to try to recreate the life I was living, I would be overwhelmed in a second. Now, if I even go to a class, like I just went to a class for three hours. I was like, oh my God, I was with people for three hours. (laughs) So exhausted. You know, so I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to be, you know, for going back when we have to assimilate back, it's going to be quite a, quite a journey of like having to be with people again. I'm realizing what a hermit I actually am now. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very comfortable at home. I literally just like, I go to the grocery store and I try to do some sort of exercise every day, which is usually in the house, like yoga. Um, but if it's not cold and well, it's always cold now, but like if it's not too rainy or foggy then I try to go for a walk outside but it's so dark here in Sweden now it's like only a daylight from like like we were meeting at 9 30 and it was like just like light enough then (laughs) then by 2 30 it'll be dark again so if I don't get out in that middle part of the day it's like forget it yeah it's the 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 light here changes so incredibly oh in the summer it's the opposite where it's like light until midnight and then the sun comes back at like three <laughs> three a.m <laughs> so wow. really yeah being from Miami which is pretty pretty equatorial it's uh it's quite different are you from Miami originally mm-hmm. oh I didn't know that okay mm. amazing wow quite different <laughs> didn't yeah. imagine I'd go to Sweden then that's for sure <laughs> Yeah. How do you like living in Sweden? Like, how has that been for you, the adjustment, like leaving New York? and You left? Yeah, I think New York was a good middle ground. I went from Miami to California and then to New York and then and now here. So it's like been like step by step adjusting more and more um, to the climate. Uh, I think if I'd gone from Miami here directly, that would have been too much of a shock. But I did it in increments. (laughs) So that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is. No, nice. I mean Sweden's great. Scandinavia is great. It's just so much calmer. It's like unbelievable um, compared to oh. being inside the states. How much like calmer it is, and all my friends and my parents and everyone in the states is like worried because I guess Sweden's on the news there a lot. Um, but like, I'm like, don't, you don't have to worry about me. I'm okay. <laughs> Take care of yourselves, guys. It's like Sweden has what? had 200,000 cases total and the America has like 200,000 cases a day or something. So it might be like oh, right. high per capita compared to like, they're saying it's like higher than like the places around here, like Denmark and Norway and Finland or something. But it's, you know, I, th- I feel like the space just needs to focus on itself, get its stuff in order before it worries about what other people are doing. <laughs> yeah, I right. I know. They're, it's so funny. I know. It's, I can't even imagine. I, I Being here, it's so surreal, too, because I hear what's happening in India and everybody worries about me in the same way. They're like, oh, my God, are you, are you still alive? Because the cases are raging in India. They see the news and they see people like on the streets and I it's yeah I don't even I don't even know I stopped watching because it's hard to get the real facts of what's happening you know and um like I said I'm in I'm kind of like in this I'm between the backwaters and the Arabian Sea so I'm kind of in this its own reality I don't even know what to call it it's not it's kind of outside of reality you know 
But that said, well, actually the state I'm in, they were considered um, like the model for fighting COVID in the beginning because they have dealt with infectious disease so much. I mean, they're, they've had to deal with things like COVID already so many times. And so not to this level, obviously, but they already had a lot of systems in place because they've dealt with it. And so there's this one female Ayurvedic doctor that's like the, there's been videos about her and I love it because she's like, everyone's like following her, you know, her, her guidance because they're like, what is she? She must be doing something right. So in the beginning, there were hardly any cases here. It was amazing. It was just like, we didn't feel like it was going to come in here, but then I guess a lot of workers came back from Dubai and then it just, once it catches, it catches like wildfire, as you know, so that changed everything. And then, but we were still like in this little bubble for a while. And then some people in the ashram went out and they weren't supposed to, and they snuck out and they brought it back in. That's all it took, you know? So that's also the Aquarian lesson is like, we have to, that COVID's teaching us is that you can't, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. But if you don't think about how it's going to affect the greater community you're living in, I think that's the big lesson. Like, you know, one of the things my teacher here says is, you know, just because you're living on the 10th floor and the fire's on the first floor, don't think it's, how can you think it's not going to affect you? Yeah. And even if it wouldn't affect you, you think about other people. <laughs> exactly. Even if it's not, right. But that's, but that's been the mentality, right? It's like, we're all in the same house, but we're just like, oh no, I'm not in that house. You know, I'm, I'm on the hundredth floor. That fire's never going to get to me. Well, it's gotten to the hundreds. There's, like I said, there's really like nowhere to run or hide anymore. Yeah, and this idea of loopholes, I feel like people, no matter what system we set up, there's always, we always like find the loopholes or the way around it. We're like always kind of trying to like cheat, cheat a little bit. And it's like, yes. you know, stop it with the finding the loopholes, people. Like, just, <laughs> like it's not working well for us. We need to take care of the environment. You need to stop like hurting the earth and just like raping her from all her resources. It's just like, think more collectively yeah. I can't help but think of the whole thing as like a dredging through the collective unconscious like we need to like we have a consciousness as humanity and we need to like deal with it and like sort ourselves out a bit <laughs> rebuild absolutely oh absolutely yeah the collective unconscious is all it's on display <laughs> it's like here it is the movie now it's called 2020 <laughs> The collective unconscious un- unveiled, unraveled. I think it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know how it was hidden for so long. I mean, it was like right in our face, but I guess, you know, as human beings, we don't really respond unless there's like immediate repercussions, unfortunately. It has to be something that immediately affects us because we've got this ability to go into denial so quickly. So when something happens, you know, like when a child burns their hand and then, you know, they make that association, but often there's not that immediacy. So we don't feel like we're going to get the consequence immediately. So we don't take the precaution. We don't wake up. We don't think about the, we don't do the Saturn thing. We don't think about the consequences of our actions or, or the karmic consequences or the dharmic consequences. You know, we don't think about any of that. We just think about, can I get away with this? Like you said, that's been I think the way many, especially in America, we've been raised like, well, if you can get away with it, go for it, you know, survival of the fittest and the individual and, you know, what's in it for me. 
and taking more than you give. What can I take? How do I get more? How do I get more for my money? How do I get more for give? How do I take more and give less? Which is to be the opposite. I mean, our values are so screwed up. Being out of America is really showing me that being in a culture where it's the opposite. You know, here the culture is so much about, you know, reverence and giving back and taking less and not hoarding and not being greedy and yeah, we have to talk about the hoard. someone said oh if you talk to Vanessa you have to ask her um what she thinks about the toilet paper symbol <laughs> Christina was saying that she was like what does Vanessa think about that <laughs> toilet paper symbolism you know because it's so Freudian like the hoarding the toilet paper <laughs> Yeah. It's too obvious. It's pretty <laughs> obvious. <laughs> it was good though. It's a good one. It is, right? The shame and guilt for like mm. Yeah. Talk I know, about it's where crazy. you are a little bit with Ama. Oh sure. Um, so, that the that the Aquarius rising will be raising money for. Yeah. So um I mean Ama, so the thing with Ama, so she's the hugging saint. I don't know if everyone, I don't want to assume everybody knows who she is. She's the hugging saint. And yeah, I mean, she's been, she's traveled around the world now. I mean, this is the first year she hasn't been able to tour, but she goes around hugging people for hours on end. Like this woman sits in a chair. She doesn't eat. She doesn't go to the bathroom. She sits in a chair. She doesn't charge money for this. People just come and get blessings and hugs. I mean, she's the first Mahatma, great being, enlightened being. Most of them, you know, they're always kind of at a distance or they don't, they might come down to preserve the Dharma, you know, to try to preserve the Dharma, but they don't usually interact with other human beings. Like, but she's the incarnation of the divine mother. So her Dharma is to love and flow and nurture and be the mother. So what a blessing. I mean, actually, um, Marion Woodman, she's a Jungian analyst. She wrote this book called Dancing in the Flames. And I remember reading that in my 20s and she said, oh, the, the return of the dark goddess, she's coming. And I read that book and then I think it was like a year later I met Alma. And I was like, oh my God, is this what she's talking about? Because <laughs> she was talking about Sophia. But I was like, this is the dark goddess. Like I just met the dark goddess. Like this woman is in, it's, she's incarnate. It was amazing. She was in New York City at this little church on the Upper West Side. I met Alma and I was just like, who is this woman? And then they said, oh, you know, she has a fourth grade education. She's from this backwaters fishing village in Kerala, India. And she's just been touring for the last 20 years, going around hugging people, blessing people. She's just here to bring love back to the planet, you know. And I was like, wow. I was just mesmerized by this woman and her energy and just like this unconditional love flowing from her. And I was watching her hug everyone and I was so confused, you know, at first, because it looks like she's just hugging people. But when you go up to her, she is also Mother Goddess Kali. So she's she's the hugging saint, but she's also Kali, who's a fierce goddess. So I thought I was going up just to get a motherly hug. And when you actually get a hug, well, everyone has a different experience. Some people actually go up to Alma and just feel like they got a really beautiful hug. I actually felt like I got a hug from Kali. I felt like I went through like... The, I was it was like the churning of the milk ocean or something I felt like I got churned up and spit out and I was like that, and it, but it was just a hug but just that one first encounter with her I was like I felt her the immensity of her power what she's here to do I was blown away I couldn't quite process it at that point like I was young you know I wasn't even didn't even have my Saturn return before I met Alma but I could feel on some level deep level something happened to me 
and I would never be the same, but I, it took me probably here, you know, many years later, over 20 years later, trying to figure out what actually, you know, actually now understanding maybe what started then, you know, what happened. And now that I'm with this living saint and anyway, so here I am living with her now for the last year, which has been such a blessing. And because she can't tour anymore, that's how she raised money. And she's developed. If you go on her site, amachi.org, you can see she's got so many projects going on that are incredible. Like, I mean, she has a free hospital here in India called Ames. She gives free, like a hospital people can go for free. Even when I, one time I, when I was in my twenties, was the first time I came to India and I had to get like a root canal. I had no money because I was like, just getting just out of school, you know, paying off my student loans. And I had to get a root canal. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I could go, I got a root canal at this hospital, you know, and you just pay by donation. It's incredible. But it's taking, it's helping so many people. It's not for just poor college students. It's for like people who really need it too. But, you know, it's just amazing. that she, That's just one of the things she's built. And she has, the empowering women is like pensions for women. It's teaching women to get back into the workforce here. She's, it's all about empowering women in India who, maybe lost their husband through um, their husbands or they just need to get out of abusive relationships. It's, it runs the this, this spectrum. I mean, any women who need to be on their own financially or just empowered because it's not, you know, it's a different culture here. And, um, you know, Alma really came to help women break out of that. It's hard to say. I mean, it's, we can't say, oh, it's codependency in India. It's so beyond that. It's not about that. It's just a completely different structure, you know, where, um, there's arranged marriages and there's, you know, different, very different level of poverty that goes on here and just, you know, financial hardship that these women in order to be empowered and to find work or to find a way to support themselves, that's it's a huge undertaking. It's not like what you would think in the U S where it's just like, Oh, help people, you know, get it, you know, feel like we have all these like empowerment courses. It's not like that. So I realized the title's a little bit misleading. It's not like, oh, you have a little bit of insecurities. You need to feel empowered in yourself. Take this workshop. No, this is like empowering women who are just like, you know, never thought they could even have a job, you know, never thought they would even be working or able to support themselves. And um, yeah, in many levels, like, so depend. Ama, like, as always with her great compassion, she meets women wherever they are, too. Like, whoever needs the help, however they need it, she finds a way to get them what they need. That's what's incredible. So there's many tiers of it. You can see, like, all the different, you know, outreach that goes on with that. That's just one project. And then Feeding the Hungry, that's her biggest thing she's been doing forever, is raising money to feed the starving children in India, which, you know, everyone's familiar with that from even... We see on the TV those commercials, you know, like since we're young, right? So, but then people just forget and like, you know, it's amazing how we grew up seeing that, you know, those, those organizations that are to feed the hungry and um, how quickly we forget, right? So anyway, I definitely recommend checking out what she does. And because her organization is, you know, it's all volunteer. I mean, it's unusual that way because it's all her devotees. So all the work is done as selfless service, so she's not paying anyone. So the money, any money that's raised, it's going 100%, right? So, um, And like I said, because she's not touring, the way she would normally make her money is through, she doesn't charge money for her programs, but people would often come and donate or buy things that the devotees make, you know, or, or services like the devotees 
would give massages or, um, you know, astrology readings or, um, you know, there's a lot of things that they sell like jewelry and um, got everything you can imagine, books and music and everything. So all of that, I mean, it's online, but it's not quite the same as when you have all these people coming, you know, and just that spirit of people donating when they come to see Alma. So I'm sure people are still doing it online. People probably like me thinking, how can I raise money to help her too? So she always, I mean, Alma's amazing. Even when COVID hit, she took out like a million dollar loan just to make sure she could start helping people because she wasn't having, I mean, her income was completely cut too. So, you know, like I said, from the tours and everything, she was about to go on a big tour right before this happened. She was supposed to go on the North India tour and then the lockdown happened. And then after that, she would have gone on the European tour and then the American tour. And then she'd be back. She'd actually be coming back here right about now. She's only here a few months a year normally. So that's why this has been such a gift too, to spend a whole year with her has been like dream come true really but yeah so anyway those are the two of the I mean I I'm passionate about all of her projects but those are the two that really I felt I wanted to focus on for this one for this this summit anyway maybe I'll do more in the future <laughs> and how did people sign up for the Aquarius Reimagined so actually it's perfect timing because we launched tomorrow. I'll give you the URL. The, the website launches tomorrow. Um, we had an early access list. Uh, I can also give you, but I think by the time this podcast comes out, I'll just give you the, the full website at that point. Um, so yeah, it launches tomorrow on Thursday and um, we have an early bird that runs, I think until December 9th, I want to say. There's the early bird, which is half off. So it's worth it to get in early, it means 50% off. So I think it's $97 for the early bird. So I think, so if you get in in the next week, it's really great. And it's a three day journey. And also um, we have ritual, we've got some musical, we've got special musical guests, Billy Corrigan and um, Elizabeth Electra also singing. Um, we also have a special guest, Puneet Kana, who's a Vedic astrologer. He's doing a special feature. And then Caitlin is doing our ritual, of course. Perfect. So that'll be, we want to end it with the solstice ritual with Caitlin. <laughs> Perfect. Um, the one thing I'll tell you that you'll like is that, so my mom has had an astrologer since like the 1960s. And so when I was born in 77, she had my natal chart done. And then, you know, once I became a teenager, um, you know, everything your mom does is not cool. So, so I got really like, ugh, mom, stop it with your astrologer. And like, she'd be like, you need to talk to Brenda. And I'd be like, whatever, go away. You know, like I just couldn't with her and all of her like new age hippie stuff, basically. Um, but then of course, when I got older now, I love it. And I really think I really wish like the culture in general in the States was like, like it was just integrated into the culture to actually pay attention to astrology and not in just like a like fun way but like actually like pay attention to astrology because then you guys might not be panicking all the time because you'll be like oh this is gonna happen at this point things might feel a little rough or strange and like you'd have context for what's going on but the way that I got back into astrology was actually from being a psychologist and listening to my patients all day and then I would just notice like it's so clear like 
certain days, everybody's talking about like the same thing or feeling the same way or like, I don't know what's going on with my communication or whatever. And I was also feeling the way that they were describing. So I'm like, okay, everybody that's coming in here is talking about like feeling the same way. Maybe something's going on in the astrology. And then you'd look, I'd look and be like, oh, Brenda, this astrologer that my mom, my mom has been going to. Oh, she's talking about the same thing. Maybe there's something to this. And that's, that's how I started paying attention to it again. It was from being a psychologist. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, because it's so true. Like, I love what you said about the, um, how it's too bad that, especially in American culture, that they don't integrate it more as in that way of like, what's happening, like, for everyone again it becomes so like what does it mean for me and my sign you know <laughs> specifically and um I mean I'm I write sun sign astrology you know I did for many years I'm actually kind of moving away from that finally that's been a big shift in 2020 I was for the last 20 years writing sun sign astrology for fashion magazines like Elle and Teen Vogue and that was like kind of my second job you know and um it's funny since I got since I've been here more integrated into this culture now, instead of just kind of coming and going from India, the way I have being here on a daily basis for a year, I have so much more appreciation for how they integrate it like days of the week, like even wearing the color for the planet each day, like honoring, like every day is like you honor that planet. And then you honor, of course, the phases of the moon, which I think that's happening more. in even in Western culture, now people are appreciating the moon phases. Um, but yeah, and what's happening um, with the planets as like the planets themselves as deities and spiritual teachers and making offerings. Like every morning here, we do so many mantras just for the planets, you know, just to make the planets happy. We have to offer them mantras. They're like deities, you know, in order to work with them every morning, we're chanting for the planets. So I was like, I love that. And that really made it much harder to just make it about that kind of pop astrology like oh based on your sun sign this is what's gonna happen for you you know um because it's so much deeper than that and I think people can get so much more from just interacting with the the presence of the planet each day like today's Mercury's day so it's perfect we're doing a podcast Mercury days are the best days to have conversations and to wear green that's why I'm wearing green today (laughs) Or, you know, to do writing or correspondence or um, learning, starting a new class. It's always good to start a new course of study on Wednesdays. Here in India, they won't start a class on certain days of the week. They'll always try to get a Wednesday start date for any new class that starts. Always. If they can't, then Sunday's the backup date. But they would never start a class on, like, Tuesday or Monday or, you know, definitely not Saturday. So they really have that respect yeah and it again goes to what you're talking about before is seeing as everything as connected and as a collective and like we're a part of these like greater systems instead of thinking that everyone's yeah. just this like isolated individual um working with the system like the people around us the animals the planet and the planets out there it's all connected yeah respecting that integration yeah. Yes, I love it. And they, there's one branch of astrology where they just wait for, like they'll have your chart in front of you, but then they'll just wait for an omen to happen. You know, they'll just wait for like, you know, a crow to show up or like 
something to fall or, you know, just some like a feather to drop, whatever it is, you know, and then they'll start the reading based on that because that will show them what to focus on. Like they really take it from nature first. And so also being here since I've been here, I won't do an astrology reading. I don't do it that way, but I always look, I always look for synchronicity. That's a union thing anyway. Always like checking out what's happening while someone's talking about something. But I won't do a reading now without checking the horary chart or the chart of the moment to see why that person is coming at that particular time for a reading, you know, that hour of the day and what, how the planets are aligned when they're coming for the reading now. So I would do that before, even before I moved here, but I, it was something I would do kind of intermittently. I would just feel it if it was the right thing, but now I'm like, no, I have, it's like the first thing I look at now. (laughs) Speaking of which, there's my crow. (laughs) That's so funny. Did you hear him? Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I love it no and I, I think also the, the the shift away from the shift the the way of thinking about it as like these are forms of knowledge and these are all different ways of collecting knowledge about what's going on instead of like superstition like some people get so paranoid like oh if I don't hear the thing then something's wrong or like don't take it in this like negative paranoid direction but just focus on like it is a positive, like affirming. These things are all affirming the, the course of action and the course that you're taking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know a lot of times people can get paranoid or superstitious. Like, why is a crow there? That's a bad idea. That's a bad omen. Someone's going to die. It's like, no, no, no. He's yeah, coming to give you a Saturn blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't do that. Just say, yeah. See it as all different forms of information. Yes. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Shireen Vismaya, astrologer and Jungian analyst and co-host of the event Aquarius Rising Reimagined. For more information, please visit Aquarius Rising reimagine.com and join us for these three days of events on mysticism metaphysics and music in celebration of a new aquarian vision rendering unconscious is also a book rendering unconscious psychoanalytic perspectives politics and poetry from Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated for more information you can also visit my website drvanessasinclair.net or the podcast main website renderingunconscious.org links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode
thing. There is not a reaction. It's an active step of transformation, which sort of goes from you, from the inside out. Deficiency present more than a mere analogical relationship, not only with phenomena of normal psychology, but also with the psychology of the supernormal, of genius. Various as are thee, that is, for Sir Stephen, was a game, or the guise of a game. Nothing more, or a check, the way one checks to ascertain beyond the pleasure principle. Thirteen. Whether a machine is functioning properly, oh, had no doubt. Without moving from the arm of his chair, Sir Stephen then told her to take off her skirt. O's moist hands made the hooks, products, regardless of content, our desires for self-reproduction, slippery, and it took her two tries before she succeeded in unadapted to reality. They appear to be somewhat opposed only because doing the black fayo petticoat under her skirt. They are adapted slightly to the present and are also differentiated. When she was completely naked, her high-heeled suede sandals and her black silk stockings rolled down flat above her. Slightly. They are more typical in form than, perhaps, images of more elevated love. For nature or for Christ. Young points out that knees, accentuating the delicate lines of her legs and the whiteness of her thighs. Sir Stephen, who had also gotten to his feet, seized her loins with one hand and pushed her toward the sofa. Metaphysical mirage of the performance, the soundtrack. Sexual aim now appears for the production of which all partial impulses cooperate while the erogenous zones subordinate themselves under the Mother Earth, with good reason. Greek philosophers sought the source in the differentiation of being. From primal particles or seeds, this pain results when each seed of our being longs to re-transform 
in its source so that a new coming, ten of cups, screening, fit. He tried to keep the peace among fellow gangs of us, at least. Smell thee, psychoanalysis, best you can. Execution, but being held in max, mingle with other, an exponent of love. Fulgur, she conceived, introduced, and specifically, not so much in the production or conceptualization of art, but in terms she has exhibited. Have a couple of cocktails, or on, of, transformation of the body. Subject. So-called spontaneous somnambulism, resting upon a foundation of hysterically tinged psychopathic deficiency is not a very common occurrence and it is worthwhile to devote closer study to these cases for they occasionally present a mass of interesting observations.